Hashem Hashem Nasev Natsliach, Shiur Torah, Buchim Abayim. We are uh, back, continuing our series of the Igeret Agra. We are, Baruch uh, Hashem, getting closer and closer to completing uh, the uh, the series. But uh, I would say we're past halfway uh, of the series, not quite at the end. But nonetheless, there's uh, definitely a lot to learn uh, from uh, each week. This uh, week, the uh, the Gaon Vilna continues talking about the significance of the wife, the uh, you know who you're going to choose to marry you, uh, who you're going to choose to marry. Period. Uh, and uh, also, we have, uh, of course, uh, during uh, Parashat uh, Kitavo, a uh, parasha that's uh, full of uh, some of the uh, most difficult statements in the Torah as far as punishments are concerned. So, uh, tonight's you will be uh, for Iluya Nishmat Alka Bat Leiba and Lehavdil also for a Refua Shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Orit Bat Ilana, Rivka Bat Sara, uh, Tinok Ben Rivka, which Baruch Hashem, I'm told, was just released from the hospital miraculously, Baruch Hashem. So now both the mom and the uh, new boy are uh, out of the hospital. Briim Shlemim are completely healthy and complete, Baruch Hashem. And also for Reshpua Shlema for Itro Ben Avraham, Talia Bat uh, David Ben Nesria, Doris Bat Jora, and uh, also for a Atzlacha Raba for uh, Amir Ben Shahin, um, Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sephas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, Louis Ben Marsha, Shaul Ben Farzane, Ruben Chaim Ben Palaparel, Itro Ben Avram, Oshri Ben Doris, Gabi Ben Doris, Elad Ben Doris. David Ben Nesria, Joshua Ben Noach, uh, Alex Ben Noach, Netanel Yosef Ben Avraham, and uh, all of Am Israel and all of the righteous Noahides that continue to support uh, the good cause, all the good things that we're doing. Uh, just as a uh, brief uh, update on things that are going on, Baruch uh, Hashem, the um, Big day is coming. The big judgment day is coming. We have uh, Rosh Hashanah coming. And uh, as you all know, one of the main things that uh, our organization has uh, done over the years, and especially this last year and a half throughout the tragedy and the plague that we're dealing with, uh, with this coronavirus that is uh, causing the uh, difficulty uh, to, to grow in people's homes, uh, we're uh, doing with the best that we possibly can to feed as many people as possible. Uh, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, there's a lot of poverty, uh, especially among the uh, religious community. Of course, there's poverty in the non-religious community as well. We do not, uh, uh, um, you know, exclude anyone, anyone that comes to us for, uh, for help. If we can help, we help. Whether they're religious or not doesn't really uh, make, uh, you know, steer our decision one way or the other. Uh, we help religious, we help non-religious, and just uh, as the way of the Torah is supposed to be. Uh, and uh, this year we're uh, looking to do something much bigger than we did last year because the need is bigger and because we simply want to do more. 
uh, to to uh, to be the vessel of Hashem. So uh, this year we're uh, uh, we already sent money to uh, to buy gift cards uh, from the top uh, kosher supermarket chain in uh, in Eretz Israel. For anyone who uh, hasn't seen the campaign uh, that we launched, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, but uh, there's a campaign that we're starting to to try to raise as much money as possible. But this is since this is the time of the high holidays, this campaign is a little different than the rest of the campaigns that we have during the year. Where uh, first and foremost, you'll notice that the uh, campaign is uh, not uh, allowing people to donate whatever they want on that specific campaign. Uh, but rather, it's uh, specific things that you can buy if you want, if you could afford it. Uh, one is uh, for people that want to get uh, a personalized video uh, blessing for myself and from Rabbi Ephraim. Uh, for whatever issue, whether it's for uh, finding a marriage, a better job, uh, financial success, health issues, uh, having children, whatever whatever issue a person has, they could ask for those blessings and we'll make them uh, uh, a personalized video, uh, one myself, one from for Ephraim, uh, you know, with, uh, you know with, with those blessings for them. And we usually try to do it uh, before the holiday, before uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, to even send it to the person, so start off the holiday with a good, uh, good feel. Uh, the uh, this you know that that option to get that is uh, four thousand dollars. If a, if a person wants to do that plus uh, to uh, sponsor a lecture, to have to be uh, you know really the uh, uh, the fuel behind uh, a lecture, get all the merits that the uh, lecture has from all the Balei Tshuva all of the people that get closer to Hashem and so on. Uh, right now, uh, you know, uh, th that is, I think, is costing 8400 uh, And uh, the last option, if somebody wants to sponsor a series, uh, we're about to, you know, to finish this particular series. Uh, we're, you know, uh, we're still far away from finishing the other two. So uh, to get a series uh, in their name, both for myself and from Rabbi Ephraim, uh, it's uh, $50,000. Now, of course, uh, some people are able to afford this and uh, they jump on it and uh, they, uh, they donate the money. And again, the money is not uh, used to, to build me any new houses or to buy uh, Rubber Frame any new watches or anything. It's, uh, we're using all of this money to feed people that need it, specifically right now. Now, since we don't really know ever what people will donate, what people don't donate, the only thing we do know as far as certainty is that poverty is there and that people don't have money to, uh, to, uh, to celebrate the holiday, don't have meat, don't have chicken, don't have uh, uh, even electricity in some cases. I mean, there's a lot of issues out there and we're dealing with it. So we already uh, took the initiative. We sent uh, almost $120,000 uh, earlier uh, this month. Uh, to set everything up uh, that at least is going to feed uh, probably close to around 4,000 people, maybe more. Uh, you know, we're trying to do the best we can as far as giving it to the people that need it, not just giving it to whoever wants. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, we, we have already set up the foundation that whether, you, you know, people donate or don't donate, at least we know that the mitzvah is being fulfilled. Of course, anyone that wants to be part of this mitzvah or better yet, Anyone that wants to help us achieve our, our goal, which is really to reach 15,000 people, uh, which will need a lot more money than that, then, uh, you know, can obviously contribute to those campaigns. 
Now, again, if you could afford it, great. Then you should definitely get one of the uh, options that I just mentioned. Um, if you can't afford it, but you still want to contribute, then you could just simply go to the Bezat Hashem website uh, or to the Tikkun Abrit website or our app on iOS or on Android and just simply donate as much as you can, as much as your pocket and your heart allows you to. Now, uh, for, uh, for those that are asking, well, how come the prices went up from last year? Last year was $2,600 to get that same blessing and, and so on and so forth with the rest of the prices. Uh, the prices went up for two reasons. Number one, uh, we're trying to do a lot more this year. We're trying to reach a lot more people this year. Last year, we didn't front $120,000. Uh, last year, the whole campaign wasn't that much. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, just simply the cost of operations of running the organization, even without the campaigns, uh, has, has gone up. Employees and videos and uh, applications and uh, uh, all types of marketing tools and so on. I mean, uh, just uh, for people to understand that the costs are extremely high. It's not uh, as cheap as a, uh, a YouTube video uh, you know, it would appear to be where, uh, oh, you just make a YouTube video and it's free. <laughs> it's not free. Uh, each day costs several thousand dollars uh, just, uh, just, uh, just to keep our head above water. Uh, so uh, every day, I think it's somewhere close to uh, $3,500 to $4,000 a day. Uh, that's where our uh, costs are at this point, between marketing, between the free stuff, that we send everybody the CDs, the uh, this, the that, all the different things that we send. So the costs are higher, but of course the reach is higher also. We, uh, the last report that we got from YouTube showed that the numbers went up slightly. Uh, we're uh, almost at 20 million minutes per month of people watching our videos just on YouTube. We're not including WhatsApp, we're not including Facebook, we're not including everything else. Just YouTube alone. If you put together all of the channels, we're uh, just under, like literally uh, a uh, maybe 100,000 under uh, 20 million minutes per month. For anyone that follows our, our lectures closely knows that that's up from 19.5 million a couple of months ago, and that's up from 5 million uh, a year ago. So, you know, a, uh, almost 300% uh, growth, Baruch Hashem. We're reaching a lot more people, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that's in the works. Um, couple of things I'll tell you guys just to get you guys excited for some stuff. Number one, we, uh, we're, we're launching a lot of big movies now. Uh, the short movies keep coming out every week. Every Sunday we have a short movie, but uh, we also have a bunch of big movies that uh, are uh, either ready or almost ready. We just released the Rabbi Akiva movie by Rabbi Ephraim, both in English and in uh, Hebrew. That was just launched a few days ago. That's uh, almost an hour movie. We have a, uh, uh, another hour movie, uh, almost for me, that's ready in Hebrew. We have uh, uh, another one that's actually in English uh, that is uh, probably be ready in about a month and a half from now. But we also have a couple of very big ones uh, about the scary stuff that some of you guys like and all of us need uh, in regards to Chibuta uh, Kever, Genom. All that other stuff, similar to the Tikkun Abrit, uh, one of those movies uh, in regards to Chibuta Kever is uh, almost ready. Uh, it's possible that we may even launch it uh, during the high holidays, so perhaps even beforehand. We'll try. Uh, we'll try to push it beforehand. So there's a lot of big stuff that uh, that's in the works. We also have 
a um, the new flyers coming in within the next couple of weeks uh, with these uh, um, plastic uh, containers that uh, that hold them. These holders, uh, these are going to be coming in and going to be available uh, probably within the next couple of weeks, two, three weeks, maybe less. We're waiting. It's on a ship right now, We're waiting for it to to be released and uh, to arrive at the port. And Bezal Hashem will give them out uh, as fast as possible. Uh, and uh, we're going to try to do whatever we can to uh, to make them uh, either as cheap as possible or just simply outright free, uh, like we did with the CDs recently, because we see that that works uh, much faster. So uh, perhaps we'll just uh, give them out for free for anyone that wants to order them. We'll make a campaign for it. So Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of good things happening, and and the key is is that uh, with with everything being said, there's uh, even with everything I just said, there's even more stuff that I'm not telling you that uh, will be uh, announced uh, within the next, I would say, uh, two months or less. Uh, definitely the biggest announcement we've ever made is coming within the next two months or less. Uh, so uh, a lot of good stuff happening and will uh, will keep doing it. So for anybody that wants to support uh, not just uh, you know an organization that uh, makes videos for entertainment, but rather helps an, an extraordinary amount of people. Uh, from from my knowledge, the fastest growing Torah organization in the world right now, uh, percentage wise, and I actually even think as far as size uh, is concerned, Baruch Hashem, we're reaching much uh, bigger uh, uh, heights than we did in the previous years. And for anyone that wants to be uh, you know, wants to join the winning team, wants to join a team that's actually uh, uh, team Hashem that's actually helping people and not just uh, focusing on uh, lining their own pockets, this is the place to be. Uh, you know, the uh, the high holidays are a time where every single one of us is going to be judged. How much money we're going to make, whether we're going to stay single or get married, have kids or not, uh, lawsuits. Uh, uh, f problems, everything is going to be decided over these next couple of weeks. And uh, that's why people make their biggest donations during this time of the year. This is where they don't wait for December 31st, like the, uh, 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 the, the Gentiles do for, for uh, tax benefits. This is the time people make the biggest donations because this is the time where uh, you want uh, those donations to help you spiritually. Uh, so for, for people that uh, know that uh, they have the ability to do it, it's always better to uh, invest into a living Torah rather than just simply uh, another, uh, 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 you know, uh, show and tell uh, at, uh, at your local community where you're investing a large amount of money, but you have really no idea uh, what's going to be with that money, what kind of fruits that money is going to yield you. And when it comes to mitzvot, when it comes to tzedakah, a person has to be selfish. Even though, yes, it's always nice for the whole community to know that you just donated $100,000 to the community. If you know that last year and this year, nothing has changed in the community. Nothing has changed in the last few years. You donated a bunch of money. And unfortunately, nothing is really changing. You donated to some organization, but nothing is really changing. Then, of course, you have to consider should I continue donating to the organization or should I you know, donate to someone that's actually doing something? And uh, I don't think anybody has been as aggressive in helping people both spiritually and financially, uh, materially, over the last couple of years during this plague. Uh, we've, uh, Baruch Hashem, last year we fed 10,000 people. This year is about to close in a couple of weeks. 
uh, we should be able to reach 25,000 people or more that we've been able to feed uh, throughout this last year. Uh, so uh, we're talking about a significant amount of people at a time that is needed. Because even though the, uh, the rich are getting richer right now, and a lot of people have made a lot of money uh, over the last couple of years in the market and, and all types of investments and jobs and so on, the people that are not in the upper echelon of uh, society have actually struggled more than ever. Uh, so uh, this is the time that we need to help them. So for anyone that wants to contribute is more than welcome to. For anyone that doesn't is also more than welcome to, to do whatever they want. Uh, but sometimes people ask me, well, how come you always mention the same people in the shoe? You know, for refuah or, uh, or different things. Uh, you know, what is it? Because they donate the most? Not necessarily. Sometimes people don't donate and I still mention them. Uh, but I can definitely tell you that it's not a secret that if somebody does donate, if somebody does show that they believe in our cause, we're much more inclined to, you know, to pray for them, to mention them in lectures, and uh, to do everything we possibly can to help them. Not necessarily because of the money, but rather because we're both on the same page. They believe in the cause. The most obnoxious thing in the world is when people tell me that I'm their rabbi, and I, or Rabbi Ephraim is their rabbi, and they ask us all the questions, but all the donations go to somebody else because it's better for them financially, for tax reasons, it's better for them because they're used to it, it's better for them because it's a, a local or whatever other nonsensical cause. So we're doing all the work and you know somebody else is where you're investing your money and it's obviously obnoxious. The point is we try to help everybody, whether they donate or they don't donate, whether they're a child or they're an adult, whether they're male, female, Jew or non-Jew, we help everybody. But of course, if somebody shows us that they believe in our cause, then it's, it's, it's common sense that we're going to be a lot more inclined to, to push a little extra to help those people. It's just a reality. You know, it's a, uh, people sometimes amaze me at how foolish they are when they uh, make such decisions and they think, oh, listen, you know, I, uh, I, I made contributions. Uh, how come, well, you made contributions three years ago. That contribution you made, you know, is long and gone. We're continuing to do things. So again, if you continue to ask questions, you continue to benefit from the lectures, you continue to benefit from the material, you continue to, you know, to do everything, we're continuing to give you, but you are relying on the fact that you gave a year ago, or three years ago, or four years ago, then unless you haven't made a single penny in three years, you should be asking yourself, really, why? Why, why, why are you not contributing and where are you contributing? And it's important for people to be reminded of these common sense types of statements simply because if you're not reminded, then sometimes a person could use that as an excuse uh, to not do it. So uh, again, we try to help everybody and uh, we really, really push ourselves beyond the limit uh, to, uh, to help as many people as possible. But right now, at this time, these high holidays is a time where we're trying to do as much as possible, to reach as many people as possible. Those that want to be uh, on the uh, same, uh, same boat with us, on the same team, are more than welcome to contribute. Those that don't, don't. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't exactly look at every donation, who gave and who don't, who doesn't. It's just usually the people that do donate the bigger amounts usually let me know or someone lets me know that that happened. Uh, you know, so it's a, uh, but if somebody is a, uh, not contributing, usually that's also known either way. The question is, 
you know, why do people donate so much money in order to find a good zivug? Why do people donate so much money and pray so much in order to find the right wife or the right, you know, the right husband? Shouldn't you just be able to go into the market and just pick one off like you do vegetables? Shouldn't you just be able to knock on your next door neighbor and say, hey, you have a daughter? Yeah, I want to marry her. Okay, let's go. Shouldn't that be that? Obviously, anyone with common sense knows life doesn't work that way. Life is simply uh, not even close to that. It's very, very hard to find somebody that you have the same ideology with, that you have an attraction to, that there's chemistry that's mutual. Uh, you, you have the, it's, it's hard enough, but even more so, it's hard to find all of the necessary tools that a person ha- uh, needs uh, in order to have a successful marriage. People know how to get married, but they don't know how to stay married. And unfortunately, that's why the you know divorce rates in Western society are over 80%. And unfortunately, they're even uh, 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 deteriorating in the religious world, even though it's nowhere near the uh, non-religious world. Uh, the reality is the marriages in the religious world are uh, suffering drastically over these last few years. And of course, again, uh, religious is uh, subjective, uh, meaning the term religious doesn't necessarily always mean the same thing to everybody. Uh, you know, according to our Torah, being religious means that you're observing Shabbat, you're observing Talat Mishpacha, which means uh, it's family purity, Kashrut, your kids are going to Yeshiva, uh, you know, there's, uh, you're learning Torah every day, you know, you're doing pretty much the best you possibly can with all of the minimums. Uh, and even doing, trying to do even a little bit more than just the minimum. That's religious. But unfortunately, in, in, in the world today, especially in the, in the United States, where this, uh, this confusion continues to grow, there is a uh, part of our uh, religious community that calls themselves modern orthodox. Now, of course, the orthodox stands for the religiosity. The modern stands for, you know, as a, representing their uh their uh status of today you know being up to date now again if being up to date was just simply based on the the way people communicate you know whether they're using text messages or or writing letters if perhaps it's the clothes is not necessarily uh uh as uh, as it was in previous years then modern orthodox wouldn't even be called modern orthodox it would just be orthodox but the reality is modern orthodox does not mean that. Modern orthodox is modernizing the rules. And some of the rules that are being modernized are literally tr- turning modern orthodox into reform. Uh, where you have a recent statistic that came out uh, somewhere around four years ago, maybe less, by somebody that did research on the modern orthodox community. And according to his statistics... And he's not a biased party of any kind. He's for the modern Orthodox community. He reported the numbers. And part of his numbers was that nearly half, nearly half of the women of the modern Orthodox community are not keeping family purity rules. They're not going to the mikveh. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to a non-Jew. This may not seem like a big deal to a secular Jew, this may not seem like a big deal to even a modern Orthodox Jew. 
But to a Jew that's familiar with the Torah and what it's supposed to be, this is, in essence, one of the primary differences between us and the religious, Haredi, Hasidish, Orthodox, whatever you want to call it, and Reform, and Christianity, and the rest of the world. If your wife or wife-to-be does not go to the mikveh, you are not religious. Like, you may be a secular person that is keeping Shabbat. You may be a secular person that's even learning Torah. But if your wife does not go to the mikveh every month, of course, she has to if she still gets her period. If she doesn't, because she's already aged out, she's already older and so on, that's obviously a different story. She just has to go one last time in her life and finished. But if she's still young, she still gets our uh, uh, our period, she has to go to the mikveh. If your wife does not go to the mikveh, and you're Jewish, and she's Jewish, and she doesn't go to the mikveh, you're not religious. Don't think for a moment that you can actually you know, be considered orthodox in any way. You can call yourself whatever you want. You call yourself modern orthodox. You can call yourself Pikachu. You can call yourself X-Men. You can call yourself the Incredible Hulk. Call yourself even Joe Biden if you want. Call yourself whatever you want. But if your wife does not go to the mikveh, you're not religious. Why? Because as long as she does not go to the mikveh, you're not allowed to touch her. And I don't just mean you're not allowed to touch her intimately. You're not allowed to even sleep in the same bed. You're not allowed to hold hands. Simply, no affection whatsoever. You have to treat her as if she, as if she simply is a do not touch. She's like a nuclear uh, facility. Don't enter. Don't touch. Don't get close. And perhaps don't even look. That's really what it is. If you have a woman that refuses to go to the mikveh, this is actually one of the main things that a bed dean looks like when there's an issue when the the husband wants to get a divorce or the wife wants to get a divorce usually if let's say the uh the uh the husband or the wife one is more religious than the other that's not necessarily enough of a reason to get divorced if uh, as long as they let the other person stay religious and so on usually the the bed dean will tell you to stay married and just work on it get them up to date uh, perhaps over time be gentle and so on what if she doesn't want to keep shabbat even though she doesn't want to keep shabbat you stay married to her what if she doesn't want to keep uh, 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 i don't know she she wants to go to movies even though she wants to go to movies you stay married it's not enough of a reason for you to uh to go to uh get a divorce but if she doesn't want to go to the mikveh or if he does not allow her to go to the mikveh or allow her to keep talking meaning he wants to be like some uh, some lion that wants to be with his wife you know 75 days a, a week automatically without questions asked the bedin says finished it's the end of the marriage why without tarat mishpacha without family purity there is no sanctity in the marriage so when the statistics came out from the modern orthodox community that showed that nearly half are not going to the mikveh you would expect the rabbis the goldbergs of the world and the other people of of the modern orthodox community to literally just go in the streets rip their clothes wear sacks and start crying over their communities 
That's in, a, in reality, if you're a leader of a thousand families, two thousand families in a community, and you know that half of your community doesn't go to the mikveh, it's, it's, it's such a disaster that you really should be crying every single day. But nothing, nothing really happened. I'm not saying that they're advocating for people not to go to the mikveh. I'm not saying they should tell people don't go, but there's not enough being done because not enough people know the sanctity of family purity not enough people know the magnitude of this mitzvah now we just Baruch Hashem released a book we published a book uh Rabbi Ephraim's uh mother the uh, the Rabbanit uh, Shulamit uh, Kachlon uh, who has been a Balanit for almost 40 years uh just published a uh, book from uh, you know with uh, our organization backing it and so on uh in Hebrew and Bezat Hashem will translate it to English as time uh, uh within time but we're now it's a beautiful book it's uh, it's going to be available on our website for free as far as the digital copy the hard copy are in israel right now we're giving out three thousand copies for free they're a little expensive but well hashem we're doing the best we can uh and we're going to get some copies in uh the united states as well to give out for free uh but uh that may take a little time uh perhaps maybe the next few weeks i'll get some either way again they're only in, in hebrew for now but the point is, is that this book is, if we printed out 30,000, 30, they would go, they would literally be distributed in a day. Because people are going to love this book, number one. And honestly, if, if I was a woman and I, and I read the book, I, I'd start, I want to start keeping Talat Mishpachai as a man already. That's how enticing the book is. Because it's giving personal experience of what she has seen over the last 40 years from this 40 years of experience with people and also people people actually wrote their personal stories that we included in the book different miracles they had experiences and so on in the book it's a fantastic book Baruch Hashem. and uh this just came out uh last week and uh we haven't released it uh yet on the website i think it's gonna be probably in the next couple of days or so so either way this is one of the many projects that uh, the organization has behind the scenes uh but nonetheless when a woman understands the significance of family purity she knows that this is really what distinguishes us from the rest of the nations when a woman doesn't know the significance of this or a man doesn't know the significance of this then their marriage is really no different than simply anybody else in the world anybody else not jew non-jew anyone else even uh, two cows their marriage is not really different than anybody else and one of the reasons why people don't know the significance of this is because they don't know what to look for in a woman. They don't know what to look for in a marriage. Unfortunately, the, the, uh, the reasons why people get married today are usually the wrong reasons. It's materialism, physicality, and, and in essence, what they, as the Chazonish famously said, what they call love, we call karet meaning a forbidden crime because they think that their love is really love but in reality it's lust and that's why many times people end up getting married and shortly thereafter get divorced and uh, just have a uh, another uh, bad experience in their life uh, which leads to a lot of horrible things now of course not all uh, uh, marriages that start off the right way end up staying the right way but uh, here, the, the, the Gaomi Vilna is going to give us a little bit more insight than he did last week about 
What is the things you need to look for in a wife? What is the things you need to look for in a wife? What is it that you need to know? Is it, does she have to be, you know, Malkata Yofi, the, uh, the beauty queen? Does she have to be the smartest person on the planet? Does she have to be extremely rich? Does she have to be, uh, you know, what does she have to be? How do I decide that this woman is going to be, you know, the, uh, the, the good wife? Now, to get married, I already told you, you need two main things. Two main things you need to, in order to get married. One, there has to be some form of attraction between the two of you. You cannot be one of these people that thinks that they're overly righteous, that you don't need to look at her and she doesn't need to look at you and you'll still get married. That's only in your dreams and perhaps even your nightmares. In reality, you have to be attracted to each other. Now, you don't have to necessarily think of each other as the most beautiful thing that ever walked the face of the earth, but there has to be attraction. Why? Because when there is an attraction, adultery happen when there is an attraction the marriage ends up failing so there has to be some form of attraction and a serious attraction not like oh you know he's okay for like a human no like and it has to be attraction same thing with her oh yeah you know I, I can see that god created her not one of those you have to be attracted to the people and again as much as we make the the issue humorous to to to, to bring light a little bit to the issue it's a reality People that get married without having attraction are almost guaranteed to get a divorce unless they become like the biggest tzaddikim in the world. And even then there is an issue, you know, and, and sometimes you'll see even in a, in a religious world, in a religious world, you'll see people, you know, telling their kids, listen, you should marry her. You should marry him. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't like her. Well, you don't even know how to like her. No, I mean, I don't find her attractive. Okay, you don't find her attractive, so maybe she doesn't find you attractive. So both of you think that you're both garbage pail kids, but either way, you don't need to be attracted to each other in order to be married. Wrong. Wrong. You have to be attracted to each other. You have to be attracted to each other even more so you cannot be disgusted by each other, and which, which happens. Which happens even with beautiful people. This is not a matter of like, oh, he's beautiful and therefore he's, he's, he's marriage material. She's beautiful and therefore she's marriage material. No, there has to be an attraction between the two people. And for everybody, there's a mate. Everybody can find somebody that they're attracted to. Now, again, when people push people to get married, and sometimes I've seen this with my own eyes, where you'll have somebody being pushed to get married to somebody because he's at a certain age or he comes from a certain family or he's in a certain community and there's some type of outside pressure and they tell him to marry some some girl that he's not attracted to and he comes to them he says listen i'm not attracted to them and what do they do listen talk to the rebbe and they send him to the rebbe and the rebbe uh sometimes is not really a rebbe other than having the title tells him listen attraction no attraction don't worry once you're with her, it's all the same, you'll be happy. Now, he may be talking about it from his perspective. He may be already uh, at a different stage in his life, and maybe for him it's that. But sometimes it's not because of that. Sometimes he just doesn't really care enough from the perspective of a different person. He just tells them whatever comes out. And the people end up getting married and shortly thereafter getting divorced. And then it's much more difficult to get married again. And even more so, it's much more difficult for someone that has divorce on their record, on their, on their life record, it's much more difficult for someone that's divorced to stay married. Why? Because 
divorce throughout all of history has always been this taboo that no one really ever wants to be a part of but once somebody gets divorced once it's much easier for them to get a divorce a second time and perhaps even a third and unfortunately sometimes people start counting their divorces in two hands every three uh three months he has a new wife every six months she has a new husband oh no i didn't get along with him oh no i didn't get along with her okay maybe you should stay alone it may be better for you than than completely torture the 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 the, uh the community but nonetheless the reality is Rabotai, is that people don't want to stay alone people want to be with somebody and in order to be with somebody we need to know what we're looking for so again first and foremost there has to be some type of attraction but that is not enough the second thing that is more important than attraction itself is to have the same ideology meaning you need to want the same things overall look at the world have a perspective on the world in the same perspective now you don't have to necessarily agree on every single thing but your overall ideology needs to be the same if it's not it's only a matter of time before you get divorced or simply live a miserable life why because even if she's the most beautiful thing that ever walked the face of the earth in your eyes but her ideology is secular and you are religious her ideology is materialism and you are into the Torah her ideology is to uh, go uh, hiking and you are scared of walking you know needless to say hiking you're not gonna make a very good couple you're not gonna make a very good couple now again as far as the lust aspect of it that will have a certain amount of a of joy for a certain amount of time but that is going to be temporary before she decides that you're too much or you decide that she's too little or vice versa and it ends up being simply a disaster so when people get married to a to another person and tell me listen rabbi she's a really nice person but she's not observant yet he's a really nice guy but he doesn't keep Shabbos yet what do you think I don't think this is not an option this is not an option if they're not in the same relatively speaking level as you as far as religiosity they're not an option if you are keeping Shabbat keeping Torah keeping mitzvot and they're not they're simply not an option even if they're the most beautiful person in the world and they tell you I'm gonna keep once we get married it's still not an option let them keep and then perhaps you can start dating them a few times and see if they're marriage material but as long as you don't have the same ideology you practically are giving yourself a guarantee that your marriage will be a nightmare in the best case scenario in the best case scenario now of course the uh the uh, many people have a nightmare relationship and they stay married but that's not exactly the uh, the ideal situation the goal is to get married and to continue growing that love that you have for your spouse with every single day that you're together with every single year that you're celebrating an anniversary with every single birthday with every single child with every single you know uh uh turn of events that you guys go through together that's really the goal for the love to grow not for the love to peak on your uh, on your uh first one or two years and then it just continues to deteriorate it's the opposite in the Torah world your love has to increase and when people don't understand 
how to be married what to look for what to uh what to have how to you know uh, not just get married but stay married what ends up happening is that again either it's a nightmare relationship or it just leads to a divorce which is also a nightmare relationship it's just that you don't have any of the benefits so the Gaumi Vilna is told us time and time again obviously through this letter that he's writing his wife and his family uh that uh the necessity for education for, for the kids a certain type of education for the girls certain type of education for the uh, boys a uh how to make the uh, torah the priority both in, uh, in in monetary issues as well as in uh in uh in uh priority as far as the time we spend on it meaning spend the most amount of money our number one asset should be our torah that means giving tzedakah that means buying the books that we want and we need that are going to teach us to be better jews that means to uh, different mitzvot that we have we have the big mitzvot coming up here in the high holiday you have a uh, uh sukkot sukkot is a time where you should look forward to spending a lot of money to build a beautiful sukkah to get a great set of a lulav and a trog and and, and the four the four uh uh, uh you have all of these different things that you should look forward to spending a lot of money on getting good stuff not look forward to getting a discount people that look to get a discount on their mitzvot unfortunately are bringing a tragedy to their life not only because they're showing themselves and their family that they care less about the mitzvot or at least they don't care as much about the mitzvot as they do about money so that's already terrible education but even more so it's a uh one of the things that it says in this week's parasha parashat kitavo is that uh, one of the greatest reasons of why hashem brings these uh these uh asonot these tragedies among am Yisrael, is because we did not serve him with happiness we didn't serve him with happiness so uh one of the ways is happiness doesn't mean that you're break dancing like some uh, breast of chassid in the middle of the street but happiness means that when it comes to the mitzvot you are looking forward to exerting all effort and resources on those uh those mitzvot when a person does the mitzvot when he builds a sukkah or has it built with excitement when he uh when he um does uh, uh buys his uh, lulav and his and his etrog and everything else with excitement and he's not uh you know uh fighting with uh, with the uh, with the uh, seller oh come on maybe you can give it for you know 20 bucks less or this or that he's not looking for discounts why i'm excited i this is the best you have okay that's what, this is the best i can afford okay great fantastic the more i spend on it the more hashem is going to give me back anyway so what's the what's the point of negotiating so when a person does the mitzvot with such a mentality they are not only uh educating their neshama but they're also educating their household now the uh the gaumi vilna continues here where uh last week he told us about how the reason why women go to heaven even though they don't learn torah or have the obligation to learn torah as much as men do even though this generation it seems like sometimes there are more women learning torah than men but nonetheless as the gemara in masechet sotah page 21 uh, a says that uh a woman goes to heaven because she's ezer kenegdo she's uh, helpful 
to our husband how uh, is she helpful by making sure that our husband and our children go to learn Torah and she waits for them when they come home even if he's coming home from a shiur at uh, one o'clock in the morning she's waiting for him even though she uh, her kids are uh, gonna come home at uh, five six o'clock at night she's waiting for them excited to see them tell me what happened in class today tell me what the rabbinit said tell me what the rabbi said she's excited to see how their Torah life is going and she's showing them interest she's showing them support she's making the Torah a priority in her life for that she will go to heaven why because all of the mitzvot that they do all of the Torah that they learn is going to be her Torah it's going to be her Torah and in fact she'll even get a bigger reward than they do and for that a woman goes to heaven that's what the uh, Gemara says in Masechet Brachot page 17a and now the uh, Gaomi Vilna continues and he brings a source he brings a source of what is a good woman because sending your kids to a uh, 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 yeshiva sending your husband to a shiur Torah definitely is a good thing to do it's a good act but doesn't necessarily make you a good woman why because sometimes you'll have a woman and I've had this happen a few times well, woman would tell me, listen, Rabbi, I think that what Rachel, the wife of Rabbi Akiva, did, I'm willing to do the same thing. If I send my husband to Yeshiva, not for 25 years, I send him there for the rest of his life. You think I'll get a reward? You think I'll get I'll get the same reward she got? Answer, no. Why no? You are looking at it from the perspective of sending your husband. To the yeshiva to go learn Torah why because you can't stand him so you figure let me go send him to yeshiva I don't have to deal with his headache anymore I don't have to deal with his smell anymore I don't have to deal with his annoying attitude anymore I don't have to look at his face anymore and on top of it I'm gonna be like Rabbi Akiva's wife right you don't get a merit for that at all actually Rabbi Akiva's wife Rachel Rachel loved Rabbi Akiva in fact she suffered tremendously and so did Rabbi Akiva he suffered tremendously from the from the emotional anguish of not being with each other for all of those years they loved each other tremendously they spent some time together before he eventually left to uh, to go to the uh, yeshiva for 24 years but she loved him dearly she thought about him every day he thought about her every day and because they loved each other they did it they didn't get rid of each other they did this they made the investment in each other they made the investment in the Torah for the sake of their love so that's why the crown of the oral Torah rests on the head of Rachel the wife of Rabbi Akiva because despite her love she made the sacrifice and sent our husband to go learn Torah if you are sending your husband uh you know or your kids to Torah just because you want them out of your face so you can go to the mall that's not exactly a uh, makes you uh, such a tzedekit let's be realistic so again the part that we talked about last week of sending the kids to and the husband to a shiur Torah to learn Torah it's good it's good there's no question about it it's a good thing but it doesn't make the wife a good wife it doesn't make the uh mother a good mother what makes them 
a good wife this part that we're going to talk about today comes the Gaumi Vilna and he brings a source here in this couple of lines, the Gaon Vilna throws an atomic bomb to all of the ladies of Klali Slayel, all of the ladies of the world, quite frankly, saying the following. Our sages, in Tana Devei Rabba, chapter 9, say, the most proper wife, the most kosher wife among all the women is the one that does her husband's will. That's what our sages say, and that's the source that the Gaomi Vilna is bringing now to tell us what's a good wife. Is a good wife someone that sends you to go learn Torah, that's a good act. That's a good act. It's a good thing to do. But it doesn't make her a good wife. Why? Because she may be sending you over there because she doesn't want to see your face. She may be sending you over there because she's doing whatever else she's doing that Hashem only knows. That's a good act to do because she's you're learning Torah. But to be a good wife, oh no, no. To be a good wife, you have to be politically incorrect. In your understanding of reality why in today's reality of political correctness to be a good wife means you're the power woman you're the one that's bringing in the dough you're the one that is telling everybody what you feel you're a feminist you're a communist you're a leftist you're every ist 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 and Hashem Yishmovi had seen from such ists Today's so-called good wives are married to other wives, wife to wife. That's the good wives of today. That's what people think good wife. Good wife they present as a good, strong woman, a woman that tells her husband what to do. She doesn't know what he's doing. He's like a child. I'm going to tell him what to do. He doesn't know where to go. I'm going to tell him where to go. He doesn't know how to make. I'm going to tell him how to make. That's what people think is a good wife. Gaomi Vilna, who's called a gaon, a gaon meaning that the sages have an understanding that his genius was in the level of the Tanaim that lived at the time of the Gemara. Some say the Rishonim that lived 500 years before him or 700 years before him. But either way, his genius was not of this world. And he says, the most kosher wife among all the women is the one that does her husband's will. That's how you know she's a kosher wife. That's how you know. Now, of course, in today's world, to get someone just this statement alone, you're asking for trouble. Why? Because they think, oh, so what? So I'm going to do everything he says? So what? He could just do whatever he wants? So what? He's going to go out with his friends and I'm just going to sit there like some loser at the house waiting for him, being like some baby oven, doing nothing all day? No, we're not saying that. If you married somebody like that, you made the mistake, not him. 
If you married somebody that goes, hangs out with his friends and plays cards and is a pretty much a loser and part of, of the loser society, then you made the mistake, not him. He married a good woman that's unfortunately stupid for marrying such a person like him. We're not saying to sit home and do nothing and while he uh, gallivants around the town and goes clubbing like a 15-year-old loser. No, we're not saying that at all. At the same token, we're also not saying that you're going to start yelling at him and tell him what to do every two seconds and call the shots and everything and he has to be like some puppy. That's also what we're not saying. You see, Rabotai Yekirim, the understanding of what a good wife is almost like a lost wisdom in the world. Both the men and the women of this generation simply do not know what it is, especially in Western society. I believe that the knowledge still exists to some extent in the East, in third world countries, places that there's a lot of poverty. But in the richer communities, it's almost non-existent. Why? Because today's world instead of the wife trying to be the helping hand of the husband today the wife is competing with the husband competing for attention competing for recognition competing for all types of things competing for all types of things and Hashem only knows how horrible this curse we have in the world called feminism which we discussed briefly last week, as I told you. Feminism comes from the Torah itself. The first wife, the first wife that was designated to be a wife of Adam Rishon, was a feminist, the ultimate feminist, the mother of all feminists, the wife of the Satan himself that is so powerful and lethal and impure, we're not even going to see her name. She was the first wife that was designated for Adam Rishon, but she did not want to be Ezer Kenegdo. She didn't want to be the helping hand that's going to help her husband grow. She wanted her own stage. And she is the mother of all feminists, hence the reason why the real, uh, authentic, and completely impure feminists of the world discuss her all the time. There are literally lectures, videos, books written about the Satan's wife and how great she is in the feminist ideology. That's their idol. That's their God. That's their everything. And to us, it's the most impure creature on planet Earth. It's called a Sitra Akhra. So here, we know that feminism is not just against the Torah. It's antithetical to the Torah. It's literally the opposite of Torah. And unfortunately today, we have people that think of themselves as religious Jews, but yet she's feminist. I'm an Orthodox Jew, but I'm feminist. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is either you're an idiot and you don't know what feminism is, and yet call yourself a feminist, or you don't, you're an idiot, and you don't know what Judaism is, and you call yourself an Orthodox Jew. Why? You cannot be both. You cannot be an Orthodox Jewish feminist. Not possible. Simply not possible. It's like saying, I am an atheist believer. 
it's it's not it's not even an oxymoron. It's just simply moronic. But yet, you find yourself in practically every community. There's always some thorn sticking out and trying to recruit as many, like a missionary, as women as possible. And most often, you'll find the ones that decide that they like feminism are the ones that are either divorced or on the way to divorce. It's either divorce or divorce in the making. And who is the one that's causing her to be divorced in the making? Her feminist friends. Oh, you shouldn't let him talk to you that way. What, you tell me you're home all day while he's working? Yeah, well, what else do you want me to do? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should be working, and he should be home taking care of the kids. And they start putting all types of filthy thoughts in a young girl's head. Or even an older one. Why are you home? Why are you here? Why is he this? Why didn't he show you? Why didn't he this? Why didn't he that? And then you have divorce. And all you have left is the gatherings that you meet with. A bunch of other miserable divorced women for the rest of your life until some other poor fellow falls into your trap. Because so long as you're a feminist, you are by far the most dangerous woman in society that's a human being. But unfortunately, you have many people in the Orthodox world that call themselves feminist. Again, like I said, either because they don't know what feminism is or because they don't know what Judaism is. Because you cannot be a Jewish feminist. It's simply not possible. Simply not possible. I mean, an Orthodox religious Jew, a feminist. Now, one of the things that the feminists look for is freedom. Freedom from anybody telling them what to do. I'll do it because I want to do it. I'll do it when I feel like doing it. I'll do it if it's good for me. Comes the Gaon, Mivilna, and says, you're not a kosher wife. Simple. You want to do it if it's good for you. You want to do it when it meets your requirements. You want to do it when you feel like doing it. You want to do whatever you want to do. No problem. You're just not a kosher wife. You're like, I don't know, pig. Sorry. It's kosher. Not kosher. Whether it's not kosher cow or pig, it's the same thing. So, when it comes to spirituality as a wife, you may be a very nice person. You may be generous, you may be beautiful, you may be smart, you may be whatever else. But as far as a Jewish wife, not kosher. We'll call you pig quality kosher. Why? Because you don't want to be married. You don't actually want to be married. You like the idea of marriage, but you don't want to be married. You want to be independent. But with some somebody to wait for you and listen to all your fairy tales listen to all your ideas listen to all the talk that you have oh i love him he lets me talk he has no other choice the poor guy he has no other choice and a lot of the craziest ideas that you hear in society today come from these types of people where you have literally women being put on stages at the most famous institutions like for example ted 
Ted is by far the, 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 the most famous place where people speak from all walks of life and you see that their talks get millions and millions of views of all people and so on and so forth. You have feminist women going on stage, being given a stage after the people know what they're going to talk about. People actually attend it. People actually watch it and listen to these idiots talk to you about feminist ideas that are literally not very different than Nazi Germany. Not very different than what you would hear in a mental institution. One particular woman would tell you that you are violating the baby's rights. Why are you violating the baby's rights? You didn't ask the baby for permission before you undress the baby to put a new diaper on it. And they give this woman airtime on countless news networks to tell them about how she has a whole organization, a whole organization fighting for baby rights, that parents need to ask the babies for permission before they change the diapers. Yeah, the baby. I'm not talking about like a nine-year-old kid. I'm talking about a toddler that was born yesterday. I'm talking about someone who doesn't know how to talk. You violated its rights. You violated its rights. Or perhaps the baby is traumatized. Why is the baby traumatized? Because it was adopted. Wait, does the baby know it was adopted? Does, does the baby know it was adopted? Maybe when it was adopted, for whatever baby feelings are, yeah, but if the baby is now like 10, 15 years old, and during that whole 10, 15 years, all that baby saw, really all that child saw, is this set of parents that were decent to it, fed it, bathed it, gave it a roof over its shoulders, over its head, got everything from his parents. Wait, you're telling me that this baby is still traumatized because it was adopted as a baby? And now the baby wants to sue the parents, not the ones that abandoned it, the ones that adopted it. There is literally no greater ungrateful person on planet Earth than such a person. For someone to take a kid is a huge responsibility financially and everything else. But you have literally feminist ideology telling children that were adopted as children, as toddlers, to sue their parents, their adoptive parents, for not asking them for permission, for not returning them to their parents that didn't want them in the first place, and all types of crazy things. And literally, the ideas coming from feminists are just literally getting worse and worse by the day. And yet, society not only accepts them, just like they accept homosexuality and its filth, where they're teaching homosexuality in kindergartens to the extent where they're bringing mentally sick people that call themselves transvestites, to go teach a bunch of children, four or five years old, about how no one should tell you that you are a boy if you want to be a girl. 
No one should decide for you that you are a girl if you feel like you're a boy inside. And if you don't know which one you are, that's good too. This is literally child abuse. This is child abuse. But it's not just being funded and, 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 and pushed by the homosexual psychos. It's also the feminists. Because it's the same type of crazy ideology that's like, Sodom and Gomorrah. And when, so when you as a Jewish woman that wants to be a kosher Jewish woman think that you can have anything to do with feminism in your life, then simply take the kosher and throw it in the garbage. Why? The Gaomi Vilna says, the kosherest woman is the one who does the will of her husband. Doesn't mean that he's going to step on her and beat her and she's going to sit there like some, uh, some uh, doll. No. Means you do everything you possibly can to do the will of your husband. So much so that you learn how to use your strengths, the gifts that Hashem gave you, whatever they may be, whether it's beauty or intellect or ability to cook or ability to make money or ability to do whatever it is that Hashem gave you as a gift, you use those gifts that Hashem gave you to help your husband get closer to Hashem, to help your husband be a better husband, to help your husband in any way you can so you actually are going to be doing his will. He may not necessarily always know that it's his will, as we'll find out from the Rambam in a moment about how sometimes a person doesn't really know what their will is, but yet it is their will, but they only know it after the fact. But nonetheless, a woman needs to know her role in the world is not to be independent. Her role in the world is not to be some girl that's gallivanting around town and parking at different people's houses from time to time. Uh, that's, not, that's not a kosher woman. A kosher woman says Eliyahu Navi. That's what Tana Deve Eliyahu is. Eliyahu Navi. And that's, what, who, that's who the Gomi Vilna is quoting. Eliyahu Navi says kosher woman she is the one that does the will of a husband now of course if a person understands this particular section alone we're already we're already in a good place we're already in a good place why because then they're going to understand the story that's in the Gemara Masechet Nedarim page 66b where there was a shiduch, a marriage between two people. But as you would have it like today, people coming from two different backgrounds, but have similar interests. And are figuring that we'll work out the details over time. And they get married. The guy is from Babylon and the girl's from Israel. Now, they're ability to communicate is limited why they speak two different languages they have different accents they have different words that they use so the Gemara says that this Babylonian man and this woman in Eretz Israel get married and they have a little bit of difficulties where when the guy asks, asks her cook me a couple of lentils it's like saying honey can you can you make me something small now, of course if a guy tells you, can you make me something small? He doesn't really mean make him, you know, a, uh, a, uh, you know, a little uh, jolly rancher. 
He's not asking you for a little candy. Make you something small means make me something that doesn't require six hours of cooking. But this young girl doesn't really understand. She's young. She doesn't understand. She said, my husband said, make me two lentils. She literally made him two lentils. Now, call her stupid, call her naive, whatever you want to call her. Let's see what the Torah calls her. She, call, she makes some, he, want, he says two lentils, she makes some two lentils. Because she doesn't understand that what he's doing, it's like a figure of speech. It's like saying, cook me something small. She brings him plate with two lentils. He gets upset. No, come on, I'm hungry. I learned all day, worked all day. This is what you have? You said two lentils. The guy's like, oh, what did I marry over here? Okay, I got to take this into consideration. She's a... Uh, you know, tomato head. You know, I have to I have to communicate better. Okay. The next day, the next day, this Babylonian man says to her, cook me a full measure. Just like saying, honey, I'm starving. Cook me a, a ton. Just bring, bring me the whole cow on the table. I'm starving. Now, in reality, smart person knows he's hungry. I'm going to cook him something heavier. Something with, perhaps with some carbs. Something with some meat. Something. Something. Not going to cook him a, uh, a little uh, toast with uh, some cheese on it. I'm going to make him something. Okay. This girl didn't understand that it's a figure of speech. So he said, cook me a full measure. She literally took the whole sack of, of food that they had and cooked the whole thing. And she brought him the pots. And he is looking at it like, you just spent all of our money for no reason. So wait, I can't eat all this stuff. And there's no refrigerators in those days. I can't preserve all this stuff. It's a complete waste. One of the most annoying things in the world is when things go to waste. And a person that's a uh, Torah scholar, even more so. The Gemara says that a Torah scholar has to uh, love his money. Not love his money because of materialism, but rather because he loves his time. He knows that if he's spending time making money, he can't learn Torah. So whatever money he's spending, he wants to make sure it's spent the right way and it's not being destroyed for no reason. That's why there's actually a mitzvah, bal tashchit, that you're not allowed to just simply destroy or waste things. It's forbidden according to the Torah. Now the point is here, this guy sees his beautiful Israeli wife, a little bit of a pumpkin head. Why? He said, make me two lentils. She literally gave him two lentils. He said, make me a ton of stuff. She literally gave him a ton of beans. What is he going to do with a ton of beans? So now he's upset. He's upset. But still, what are you going to do? So he says to her, go bring me, go bring me two buzzini. Two buzzini. Which... In the, uh, the Ramah says, means two melons. Tzam Chachamim say means two big vegetables. But to her, in her language, and her accent, Butzini means two candles. Two candles. Now, she thinks he wants candles. Maybe he wants to be romantic. Maybe he wants to sell it. Who knows what he wants? She brings him two candles. He is waiting for two melons. 
this pumpkin head brings him two candles and now he's had it ah no come on already come on already he's had it he said yalla take it to the bava meaning go break it on the door bava is it means doorway like the uh the the gemara has three different tractors bava kama bava batra bava metzia these are all doorways doorways to uh, different uh, specific issues so to him it means just take it out of here throw this out of the house who needs these stupid candles that's in essence the expression he's saying but this poor girl she says go break it on baba okay so she goes and it happens to be that baba uh, the uh, one of the doleado baba ben buta he's in the bet midrash that her husband's learning she takes the two candles bah, on his head why he said my husband said go break go break the uh the candles on baba on baba so that's what she understood If it were you or me and some young girl from Israel broke two candles on our head, perhaps the next time people would see us would be in a newspaper. Perhaps next time when people see us would be in some type of mental institution. But Barbin Buta was one of the Gdoleado. In fact, the Gemara. In uh, Masechet Baba Batra, page 3b, says that Baba Buta was the giant sage that uh, told Holdus, the Rasha Holdus, to fix the Bet Mikdash, the second Bet Mikdash. He was a tyrant. He killed a lot of uh, sages, and he wanted to make up, uh, you know, make uh, make himself look better after killing so many of the Chachamim, literally almost ca- killing all of the Chachamim. He came to Baba Buta, Baba Ben Buta, and asked him for guidance. He said, if you want to look better in the eyes of the Jewish people after you killed so many Chachamim, you want, you're saying you want to do tshuva, use all your strength and your ability to build to fix the Bet HaMikdash. And the Gemara says that someone that didn't see the beauty of the Bet HaMikdash after Holdus rebuilt it, after he fixed it, has never seen beauty before. Some say it was even more beautiful than the Bet Mikdash that Shlomo Melech built. That's how beautiful it was. He was a genius builder, wicked, but nonetheless genius builder. So Bambuta, he's the sage that told him to go do it, and he was one of the Gedolei and he was in the Bet Midrash as this uh, young girl's husband, doing some type of uh, judgment on uh, going over some laws. And all of a sudden, this young girl takes two big candles and trach on his head. Now, Baba Ben Buta looks at her. She almost broke his head. Obviously, people just saw this. People want to jump on her and make sure that she doesn't see the light of day. But he stops everyone and says, My dear daughter, why did you do what you did? Why did you break the, uh, the candles over baba's head and she says to him three words this is 
what my husband commanded me to do. Now, again, if we were Baba Ben Buta, we tell her, oh, your husband told you this. Show me who your husband is and then send us, send him a few visitors. But Baba Ben Buta, what does he do? He says, ah, you did the will of your husband. Surely you're going to be blessed with children just like Baba Ben Buta. Meaning, because you're such a kosher woman that's doing the will of our husband, surely that is going to bring holiness to the world and your children are going to be just like me. giant Holy people. Why? From holy people comes holy people. From holy marriage comes holy people. You are doing the will of your husband even though the will of your husband perhaps doesn't make sense to other people. Perhaps is wrong. But you did the will of your husband? Ashrech. Praiseworthy. You're praiseworthy. That's what the Torah, that's what the living Torah, Baba Ben Buta, calls this woman. Now, of course, don't try this at home and start breaking stuff on big rabbis' heads. But nonetheless, this is how a kosher woman is defined in the eyes of the Torah. One that is doing the will of her husband. One that's doing the will of her husband. One that's looking for constant ways to help her husband reach his goals. Not one that's looking to build a stage for herself. Now, unfortunately, sometimes you have husbands that are metumtamim, stupid husbands, that they put, they push their wives to go on stage. They push their wives to go do a bunch of different things that are not they're not supposed to. And of course, a smart woman should simply tell the husband, you married the wrong lady. I'm looking to be a kosher woman, not some uh, putza. No, no, why don't you go uh, sing? Sing? Doesn't the Torah, our sages teach us, the kola isha irva, the, 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 uh, the uh, voice of woman is like nakedness. No, maybe you could just sing to just women. Why? Well, you have a good voice. Okay, sing to the kids and to me. What's the, what do you have to express your, uh, your, uh, your talent? I'm sure you have other talents. But unfortunately, many times, people think the wrong way. Figure, oh, if she sings, she'll build a crowd, she'll make some money, we'll be able to move to a different community with a bigger house and a bigger things and a smaller olamba if it has anything at all. Now, Rabotai, the Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit has a bunch of different stories about one of the greatest sages that ever lived named Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was so holy that the Gemara says that the entire world eats Bishvil Hanina bni through Hanina my son comes the Baal Shem Tov and says, see, it doesn't say that the entire world eats because of Hanina, but rather, Bishvil Hanina. Why Bishvil Hanina? The Baal Shem Tov says, through the vessel of sustenance that, is, that Hanina is bringing to the world because of His Holiness, 
He doesn't want it for himself. He's distributing it to the rest of the world. And that's in the Kabbalistic world, talks about the, uh, the, the sanctity of certain people and certain actions and how it brings a sustenance to a person. And the holiest people that bring the most sustenance to the world usually don't want the sustenance for themselves. Hence the reason why the Gemara says that Hanina eats Kruvim, Caribs. Caribs eats, that's all he eats. Complete poverty. But the rest of the world gets their sustenance because of Rabbi Hanina. Now one day, the poverty crossed the line and the wife, the tzaddiket, the righteous wife of Rabbi Hanina, surely every righteous man has a righteous woman next to him. Can't do it alone. You need somebody to support you. You need somebody to push you. You need somebody to be there with you. And the righteous wife of Rabbi Hanina introduces herself to the world through this story where she tells Rabbi Hanina, go tell your boss to feed you. Who is the boss? Hashem. So go, comes Rabbi Hanina, his wife is asking for Parnassah. Okay, no problem. She never asked before. It's the first time she ever asked for Parnassah. Okay. So he leaves the shtender. He leaves his, leaves his Torah. Goes into the field. Praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a miracle. A wood, a, a, a golden leg. You know, a big table has four legs. Some say that this particular table had three legs. Either way, it doesn't really make much of a difference. One of those legs comes down from Shemaim. Now this, where is this table? This is a table of Olam Abba. The table of Olam Abba, complete gold. One of the legs of the table come down gently and is given to Rabbi Hanina. Give it to Rabbi Hanina. He is not just having Parnassah. He's the richest man of the land. He brings this to the local uh, jeweler. He says, Rabbi Hanai, you're, you're the richest man in the world. Where'd you get this from? He says, my boss gave it to me. Can, you think I can buy some groceries with it? He says, please, give me the honor. I'll sell it for you, whatever you want. Here's a few thousand dollars. Go buy whatever you want. And I'll, when I sell it for you, I'll give you the rest of the money. So Rabbi Hanina, the Gemara says, goes and buys some food, comes home with a bunch of stuff. His wife says, where'd you get all this from? He says, come on, come on, let's, we haven't eaten in a couple of days. Literally, they haven't eaten in a couple of days. Shabbat's coming. Let's, uh, let's get ready. Kiddush. And he wants to eat. The wife said, no, I'm not eating. Until you tell me where you got this food. Now, she's not saying I'm not eating because she just finished eating a steak. Not eating, meaning she hasn't eaten in a couple of days. But still, she wants to know where Rabbi Hanina got the money. Now, really, think about it. What does she think? He stole it? What does she think? He's hiding it? Where does she think he got the food? I mean, if I was her, I'd wait until I got some food, got my stomach back into human shape, and then I ask him, honey, where'd you get the money from? But no, this tzaddiket, she wants to know where our dear husband got the money from. So of course Rabbi Hanina says to her, my dear wife, don't worry. You said go to my boss. I went to my boss. I prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me this. Rabbi Hanina's wife, 
Rabbi Hanina's wife says to him, absolutely not. I am not going to eat any of this food unless you promise me that you're going to pray to Hashem to return this leg back to him. I don't want anything from the next world. Rabbi Hanina says to him, why not? He gave us a blessing. Usually if somebody gives you a blessing, you say thank you. Akadosh Baruch gives you a blessing. What could go wrong? Rabbi Hanina's wife says to her husband, no, my dear husband, I don't want to take a leg from our table in Olam Abba and then show up in Olam Abba after all the suffering we went through our whole life to have our table in heaven miss a leg. No way. Let us continue suffering and not enjoy this world. Rabbi Chana says to her, yeah, but you're allowed. She says, no, no, no I'm not going to do it. What do we do? Let's go to the Gdolado. Who's the Gdolado? Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi Akadosh. It's at night, it's Shabbat. They haven't eaten yet. They go to Rabbi Akadosh's house. Yes. Uh, sorry, Rabbi, to bother you. I need to talk to you. I couldn't wait for tomorrow, maybe in the Shu after the prayer. No, no, we were shalom by the Shu. Shlom Bayrishu, Rabbi Chayna, Shlom Bayrishu, show what happened. Uh, Rabbi tells him the whole story. Rabbi Akadosh, so happy. That is, that is Rabbi Chayna. Got a miracle, open miracle from Hashem. He says, don't worry, tell your righteous wife. Tell her not to worry. Whatever you're missing in heaven, it's on me. You can take it for my share. Rabbi Chanina tells this to his wife. And the wife of Rabbi Chanina was a Talmidah Chachama. And she says to Rabbi Chanina, I'm sorry, but go tell the Rebbe that I disagree. Not because I know more. But rather, he himself taught that you cannot compare the reward that a person gets for the Torah they learn in, with poverty Versus the Torah that a person learns with wealth. You learned Torah through poverty. Your reward is such. Rebbe Kadosh comes from the lineage of David Melech, the Gamliel family. He is extremely wealthy. He wealthy. He's the Nasi Israel. He's the prince. Surely he's going to get a reward, but it won't be like yours. Of course, Rabbi Chayna is embarrassed to go tell this Rebbe that this is what his wife said, but what is he going to do? The poor guy goes back to Rebbe. I'm sorry, Rebbe. Uh, my wife, uh, she disagrees with you. Excuse me? Yeah, she, uh, she actually brought uh, one of your chidushim. That the reward that I'm going to get for my Torah is going to be bigger than yours because I learned my Torah through poverty, anguish, starvation, and kvodah, although you're a giant, although you're a tzaddik, although all of us agree that you could be the next Mashiach. Needless to say, your Torah was learned through wealth. Therefore, our rewards are not the same, and therefore, you don't have 
the ability to pay me what I'm missing in Olam Abba. Rabbi Akadosh says to Rabbi Hanina, your wife is right. Tzadkami many, she's right. Go listen to her. Listen to her. Go and listen to her. Rabbi Hanina goes and tells his wife that she's right. Fine, I agree with you. After Shabbat, I'm going to pray for Hashem to take back this leg. And that's exactly what happens. And the Gemara says, he prayed for Hashem to take back this golden leg back. And a bigger miracle happened. What's a bigger miracle? Hashem actually took back the leg of the, of the table. Why is that a bigger miracle? The Gemara says, typically, the type of miracles that Hashem performs in this world is that He puts things into this world. He doesn't take them out. He doesn't take blessings away. He usually brings blessings. But because He loved Rabbi Hanina and the righteousness of His wife so much, He made a miracle above a miracle. This is a woman that builds. This is a woman that builds. On another end though, I heard a story from uh, Arav Meir Eliyahu, Shichyeh, in a shiur about Parashat Ki Titzeh. And he says a story about Rav Steinemann. Alava Shalom. Rav Steinemann, one of the G'dolei Ador, giant Chacham, huge tzaddik, and for anyone that spent any time learning next to Rav Steinemann, with him, from anything that he wrote or said, knew that literally every other word that would come out of his mouth was constantly talking about judgment of Gainom. Constantly. He was petrified of Gainom. Constantly looking for different ways to serve Hashem even better. Now, if you look at the life of Rav Steinemann, he was like the modern days Rabbi Hanina, complete poverty. Literally, uh, his whole house, the whole house was a single room. Single room. Happy as can possibly be. Ate potato his whole life. That's all he would eat, a potato. One time somebody said, Kvod Maybe the Rav wants something else, maybe different than a potato. Rav Steinemann looks at this fellow strangely. Why? I've been eating a potato my whole life. So far, so good. Why should I change? Such is the mind of a holy person versus a person that's still not necessarily a bad person, but still looking to enjoy this world. Let's just say that. So anyway... One of the Avrechim that was well off, had money, success, came to see Rav Steinemann. And uh, he asked Rav for a uh, question. He said, Kvod Rav, I have a little bit of a dilemma. Hashem blessed us with the ability to build our dream house, and we just finished building it. It's a huge mansion three stories and has a pool and has all the fanciest things and it's a beautiful beautiful house like a palace so Rav Steinemann looks at this fellow this Avrech waiting for the question 
he says well i'm concerned now that i finished building it we're supposed to move in and i'm a little concerned what are you concerned about exactly i'm concerned that now that we're getting this huge gift from hashem that we're you know this house such a beautiful house that perhaps this is going to take away one of the golden legs from my table in heaven i'm concerned so maybe the rabbi can 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 tell me am i allowed to enjoy this house or do you think it's going to take away from my heaven Rav Steinemann did not skip a beat and did not sugarcoat anything. Looks at this Avrech and looks at one of the Talmidim that's always one of the helpers of the Rav that's always there. And he looks at his helper and he says, just look at this. Here you have a Jew in his 90s, meaning talking about himself, that every moment of the day is trying to figure out if there is even a small chance that he's going to not go to Gainon and still can't figure out if there is such a chance of him not going to Gainon. And yet you have this youngster here, it's not only certain that he's going to heaven, is already concerned about the golden table he has in heaven how is there such a difference surely the avrech got a response different than he thought and his dumbfounded look knew that steinemann is saying 100 percent emit without sugarcoating and then Rav steinemann completes the session with just be happy if you don't go to Gehenom. You see, Rabotai Karim, when a person lives a delusional life, even if they're learning Torah and they're doing mitzvot, and they think that, oh, I'm going to heaven for sure, surely you're deluding yourself. Deluding yourself. If you think that everything is a certainty, because so long as you're alive, you still have a lot of work to do. But sometimes you have people that are so deluded with whatever version of reality they're living that day that perhaps they, uh, you know, they, they think that Hashem will reconstruct reality just for their sake, just like he did for Rabbi Hanina. Now again, when it comes to somebody that wants to earn a good place in Olam Abba, in heaven, they not only have to serve Hashem to the fullest extent, praying, learning Torah, doing all of the mitzvot, and not only doing them, doing them with excitement, but they need the right wife that's going to support them to do it. You can't get to that point if your wife is constantly pulling you back to go to the mall. You can't be this big tzaddik if your wife wants you to come and hang out with her and her girlfriend drink coffee every day. You're never going to be a tzaddik if all day you're going to museums. Sure, once in a while you need to go and spend some time with the family and even take a vacation. But there's a time and a place for everything. And a person that wants to reach the highest level or even a good level or even happiness needs to have 
a wife that supports that ideology, that supports that mission, that is on board where, where he wants to be. And not only on board, pushing him there, and perhaps even further than he's willing to push himself. That's a wife. That's why Rabbi Hanina is not only mentioned alone, but his wife is mentioned too. Could have easily said, Rabbi Hanina had this idea himself. But our authentic Gemara, our holy Gemara, tells us exactly what we need to hear. It's not just the husband alone. It's not just a tzaddik. It, there's a wife. That's why Shlomo Amelech brings a verse, brings a statement in Proverbs, chapter 14, verse, first verse, where it says, Chachmot nashim banta beita vivelet beadea terseu. The wise, uh, the wise among women, each built her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her hands. That's what Shlomo Melech says. The wise woman, the wise one, she's going to build the house. The foolish one will tear it down. What does it mean? Come the Chachamim and tell us. The wise one is like the wife of On. Ben Pelet, who saw that he was joining bad friends like Korach that were going against Moshe Rabbeinu, that were going against the Torah, and reminded our dear husband, my dear husband, even though what you say may seem right to you, even though Korach is very, very motivating, inspiring, charismatic, and even speaks well. And I like him as a person. He is going against the Torah. He is going against the rabbi. We cannot be on the same boat as him. Yeah, but maybe he is right. Even if he's right, he's wrong by default. By going against the rabbis, he's wrong by default. Even if his argument is right, he's wrong. Not like some of the heretics say, like this Rasha Merusha Otero says, any Jew that fears the Almighty should go against the Rabbanut of Israel. This is the, not oxymoron, the moronic statement that they, the, the heretics will say that the ones that fear Hashem should go against the head rabbis. This is the idiocy of people. On Ben Pelet had a righteous wife. And that righteous wife said to him, listen, whatever Korach is saying, maybe right, maybe wrong, maybe this, maybe that. Either way, that's not the tradition. Either way, that's not what was accepted. Either way, that's not what was paskind. We don't go against the Psak Halacha. We're going with the head rabbi. We're going with Moshe Rabbeinu. But then On Ben Pellet says, yeah, but I already made a promise. I already made a donation. I already made a commitment. On Ben Pellet was a smart man, was a successful man, was a person that was a leader. His wife was even better. She was a genius. Not a genius because she had a bigger position. Not a genius because she had more in any other aspect. But rather she knew how to use the gifts that a Kadosh Baruch Hu gave her 
in order to save the eternity of her husband and told him don't worry you just be here eat the food i'm about to make you she made sure that he had a pleasant time he was happy he was content he went to sleep after he went to sleep she made sure that he stayed asleep and while he was asleep she made sure that those friends were never going to come back around again how she went by her own entrance of her tent and as soon as she saw that Korach and his rabbi friends the Erev Rav rabbi friends that he had were coming to bring on to go and protest against Moshe Rabbeinu she took off her kisui rosh and these people they were not complete reshaim in every aspect in fact they were tzaddikim in some aspects because as soon as they saw an immodest married woman they ran away she said what that's his wife immodest woman he can't be part of us we're tzaddikim he can't be part of us we're going against Moshe Rabbeinu we can't have wicked people like this guy that has his wife with no kisui on and they ran away why did she do it she did it in order to save her husband she used her beauty to save her husband from an eternity of Gehenom which is where Korach and the rest of his friends went to by going against the rabbis here the Gemara says this woman that Shlomo Melech is talking about building the house that's on Ben Pellet's wife she is the builder she is the genius and every woman every woman that's helping her husband get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, first and foremost by learning Torah by doing mitzvot but even more so by distancing him away from all the wickedness that's that woman that's the genius that's the most kosher woman what about the Isha Oreset the one that destroys Chachamim say the one that destroys is Korach's wife Korach's wife she's the destroyer why she wanted our husband to be number one even if number one meant to go against the tradition to go against the halacha to go against the rabbis but she wanted more she wanted more and therefore she destroyed our house not only our husband did not get the position that he was looking for but he ended up losing his entire life and is still in Gehenom with all of his followers until this day 3,333 years later still in Gehenom why because she is a woman that destroys I had Baruch Hashem a small chidush about my own dear Rabbanit that I wrote in my book in the introduction to the book that we're going to publish Bezot Hashem very soon the uh the uh Agama Agamayim the um new book in Hebrew and uh in there in the beginning I write different blessings for different people and thank you and gratitude for different people that have been supportive and helpful whether it's my uh, Rav, Rav Ephraim, or it's the Rav that gave me the smicha, uh, Rav Spivak, Allah Shalom, or it's one of the big inspirations in our life, Rav Yosef Mizrahi, and other great uh, tzaddikim that have been part of my life, my parents, my siblings. But 
the one that has been the, the, the pillar of fire behind every single thing that I've been through, thick and thin, difficulty, nightmare, pain, agony, success, change in life, everything has been my very dear wife. And on her, I wrote, she's a Shabona and a Shaolisit. She is both. She is the builder and the destroyer. What's the Chidush? The Chidush here is my Rabbanit, Levana. May Hashem give her many, many years with great health and a lot of happiness with the kids and with everything else that we're doing. She's a builder of the house that Baruch Hashem we have, full of Kedusha. All my kids see is just good Kedusha. All she, they, they, they want is Kedusha. Uh, learning how to blow Shafar or uh, learning what kosher is or learning the parasha or the, all Kedusha. She builds, she builds. Constantly pushing me to do more shurim, constantly pushing me to do everything that we're doing, even though that means it's a sacrifice, I barely even see them. Maybe on Shabbat. Even though I work out of the house. Still, there's so much spent on Am Yisrael and everyone else that literally, you have to make that sacrifice. So she's the builder. She's behind everything. But what's the destroyer? How could she be a builder and a destroyer? Not chas v'shalom, a destroyer like Korach's wife, the Rishayit but a destroyer in a good aspect. One that wants to be a tzaddikah, one that wants to be someone that's extraordinary, has to be a destroyer of everything that's foreign to that kedusha that we're looking for. You can't just say, listen, I'm going to do all the mitzvot, and as long as we do the mitzvot, we're going to be okay. It's not enough. In today's world, it's not enough. You have to know, you are going to have to fight God's wars. Why? Not because he needs you to, but because he wants you to. Because you need to. Because the Yetzirah will constantly come and try to interfere with that house of Kedusha that you're trying to build. Trying to infiltrate in one way or another through the teachers, through the fake rabbis, through the different speakers, through the fake friends and the neighbors and the communities, through uh, whatever way. And uh, you are being a tzaddikit wife what did you do every single time someone wants to interfere with the holiness of the house immediately it's destroyed immediately it ends no more why it doesn't belong here we are looking to build a house perhaps we'll have some tzaddikim in it if it's not simply it doesn't belong simply it doesn't belong that's it destroy everything that's going to interfere does that mean you have to sometimes make difficult decisions? But it's for the sake of the ultimate success for eternity. And for that, my dear wife, you are Isha Bona and Isha Oresit. You build a house of Kedusha that's all over the world, but also are destroying everything that will interfere with it, both in the organization and privately. And that, Rabotai Karim, is something that I could share with you from my own personal life that I highly recommend you do and you look for in a woman. Not just a woman that's looking to enjoy the community and do all the nice things, but also a woman that's aware that you'll have to fight for the truth at some point. You'll have to fight for the sake of 
Kedusha at some point. You'll have to do it. Why? Because the other side is fighting. The other side is looking for you. The more righteous you are, the more they're going to look for you. What do you think? The Satan is looking for all of the Avarianim in the streets? All of the criminals in the streets? No, he doesn't bother with them. He's not looking for them. They're already in his army. The Yetzirah, the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, and his evil wife. What are they looking for? They're looking for the righteous ones. They're looking for Onven Pelet's wife. They're looking for all of the Tzadikot, the Sarai Menus of the world. That's who they're looking for. How? Getting to their community, getting to their students, getting to their family, getting to their friends, getting to the retailer, getting to feminism, getting to atheism, getting through in some way or another. Any which way, they're trying to get to the righteous people. Why? That's the price. That's the price. So if you're going to be someone that is going to aspire to be the tzaddikah that you want to be, you have to be aware of this. And you have to not just focus on building holy things, but already be aware you'll have to fight all of the unholy. All of those bad suggestions that your girlfriend gave you that you should buy this dress or you should buy that dress that's not modest. All of those suggestions that your uh, potential shiduch gave you moving to some modern type of community that has no michitza. Saying, listen, surely it's a michitza. Maybe it's not as high as it should be. Uh, but listen, you don't have to go to shul. No, Habibi. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Allah Shalom, Paskins, if a michitza in a bit knesset is not at least three amot, three amot is between five to six feet. It's between 60 inches and 72 inches. Debate among the Chachamim. Nonetheless, three amot. Between the uh, uh, five feet to six feet. If the Mechitza is not at least that, not that that's the goal, it's not at least five to six feet, it's not a Mechitza. Meaning, if you have a Mechitza that's up to here on me, that's like, let's say, four feet, it's not a Mechitza. I'm 5'9", 5'8 whatever it is. I look like I'm three feet, whatever it is. If your mechitza is not reaching pretty much the top of my head, it's not a mechitza. It's not a mechitza. And in a place like that, you're not allowed to pray. So if your friend told you, listen, our community it may not have the mechitza of Rav Moshe Feinstein, but we have unity. You, my dear tzaddikah, have to tell your husband or future husband, I love you, and therefore, we're not moving there. And therefore, we're moving out. And until we move out, you're not going to Bet Knesset. Why? Because the Gaon Adol, Rav Moshe Feinstein, Allah Shalom, said, this is not a place to pray. This is not a place to pray. Yeah, but what about there's going to be machloket when people see that your husband is not going to be Knesset anymore? The tzaddikah wife will say to her husband, let there be a machloket. In fact, it's good there will be a machloket. 
That machloket is for Shemaim. Let everybody find out that I'm telling my husband not to go to Bet Knesset in a place that's not even uh, 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 meeting the conditions of a Bet Knesset. Let everybody know that the Mechitza is inappropriate. If the rabbi didn't do anything about it until now, then apparently we have to do something about it as a community. And if he doesn't care, we're going to move out and find somewhere else. And until then, my husband's not going. A woman that builds is not a woman that's worried about going to Bet Knesset herself. A woman that builds a house of Kedusha is worried that the Bet Knesset her husband is going to is kosher, meets the qualifications of that Bet Knesset. A woman that builds is not looking for the hottest, most beautiful dress on the market. A woman that builds is a woman that's making sure that her kids and herself are not spending any time whatsoever looking at anything that's not even an option because it's not kosher. It's not modest. You don't go to the supermarket or the restaurant looking at pork sandwiches. Why? Because you know, as a Jew, it's not an option. The same concept goes to a Bat Israel. You don't go to stores that sell immodest clothes. You simply don't. Why? Why should I put myself in front of a test? Why should I look at something that's not an option? Now you're going to say, oh, but maybe you can kosherize it. Why do I need to? Why can't I just buy something that's much kosher? Oh, it's very difficult to find kosher. Okay, it's difficult, but you'll find it. And if you can't find it, you can make it. There's plenty of people looking for work, and I'm sure they're able to, you know, make you a dress if you get them the material. The reality is, Rabotai, is a woman that builds, is looking for constant ways to keep the sanctity in her house growing. She's not looking to build her reputation. She's not looking to build her name. She's not looking to build her bank account. She's looking to build a sanctity in her home. That's a kosher woman. That's Rabbi Hanina's wife. That's the Gaomi Vilna's wife. That's Sarai Menu. That's what it is. Now, of course, such a woman has to know, has to know that if she acts this way, she's going to earn herself a good husband. She's going to earn herself a good husband. And that husband has to also have a few things that make him very special. One of the G'dolei Adol, G'dolei Roshe Yeshivot, from the previous gener- generation, Rav Shkop, Rav, uh, uh, Rav uh, uh, Shimon Shkop, he was a giant Chacham, and he wrote a uh, sefer called Share Yosher. Now, when he came to the United States, the Bachurim wanted to give him a gift. The Gedol Adol is coming to visit, wanted to stay, wanted to give him a gift. But what is someone that's so righteous, such a genius, in, in, in the things that he wrote, the, 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 the mindset, the ideology, the philosophy that's inside this, his, his work is out of this world, literally. People think that the, the, uh, the fools of today know anything about philosophy, know anything about anything. If you just simply read the books of our Chachamim, you'll, you'll literally hate yourself for ever wasting a single moment. You'll hate yourself ever wasting a single moment looking at the works or the speeches of the fools of the day. But needless to say, 
ספר, שערי יושר, אם אין הרב קוק, עליו השלום, said that the, uh, the, the book was a, שערי יושר was an extraordinary work, surely the author has יושר. The author has a, uh, a, a happiness. How could Rav Kook know that Rav Shkop has happiness? He said, anyone that wrote such a work surely has it. Surely has this, this blessing. Now, this Rav Shkop, when he came to America, the Talmudim there wanted to give him a gift, but they knew that somebody of his spiritual status is not going to appreciate or want watches or otherwise. What does he want? They give him his own book, but not just any copy of his own book. The version of the copy that they all studied. They give him that version, and after he sees how many times they went through it because of how you know beat up it is, because of how many times they each went through it and read it and read it, he started crying. He started crying. Why? This is what I spent my whole life on. And you read it. You learned it. You gave it Kedusha. By learning it, by watching it, you gave it the Kedusha. You sanctified it. There's nothing better than knowing people are learning your work. There's nothing better than knowing that people are growing through it. Now, for someone to be that great, they also have to have someone that's great. And when Arav Shkop was just a young man and already recognized for his wisdom, he's looking for a shiduch. He's looking for a special woman that's going to help him grow to be one of the Gedolei Adol. Help him grow to be the Talmit Chacham that he wants to be. And of course, since his name had a good, uh, a good name, Tov Shem Mishem and Tov, a good name is better than good wine, one of the wealthy people in the community said to him, I want you to marry my daughter. She's extremely righteous. And she wants a scholar like yourself. She, that's all she wants. That's all we want as a family. And I'll finance the whole thing. All you need to worry about is write your book, learn Torah. That's it. I'll finance the whole thing. And that was the agreement. Of course, they went on a few dates. Saw... The, uh, the, the beauty in each other, saw that they have the same ideology, and the marriage was set. But by the time they got to literally just a uh, days before the marriage, a few things happened in the world leading to the father's bankruptcy. So much so that he couldn't even afford to pay for the wedding, needless to say, to finance the life Rav Shkop and his daughter, which is going to be Rav Shkop's wife. So, of course, people came to Rav Shima Shkop's, listen, you're a special bachur, you can get somebody just as good, even better, this, that. Why? Why go into it? Maybe they're going to now have you go to work. Maybe now they're going to uh, ask you to go uh, borrow money for them. What do you need this for? Break the shidduch. Shimoskop says, no way. No way am I breaking the Shidduch. I made a commitment because I know she's a tzedeket that I want. She's the tzedeket that's going to help me be what I'm going to be. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will provide whatever he's going to provide. 
and despite all of the recommendations of the friends he stuck with her and with her he became one of the Gedolei Adol he became one of the Gedolei Adol what do you think it was easy for them you think they didn't have any naysayers you think they didn't have any people fighting them you didn't have any people saying all types of things about their choices sure but that's why to be a righteous woman you have to understand you'll have to be a bona and a oreset you have to build and destroy you have to build the kedusha while fighting the tumah because the tumah is everywhere now what happens if a righteous woman finds out that the tumah is coming from our own husband and after trying to influence him in every way shape or form she sees it's to no avail she sees that this person wants to continue watching pornography wants to continue desecrating hashem's name wants to continue doing all the things that are destroying the house and she wants out of this marriage of course Torah says there's a mitzvah to get married but there's also a mitzvah to get divorced if the marriage is not a good marriage for legitimate reasons it's a mitzvah to give a get problem is that you have the secular world ruining our ability to implement the Torah the way it's supposed to first and foremost most people have this understanding that only the the uh, the husband has the power of keeping the uh, the wife hostage which is not true in fact the woman also has the power that according to the Torah if they allow the Torah to be implemented the way it's supposed to be the the wife also according to certain conditions doesn't have to allow the divorce to happen if the husband wants to leave her he has to have valid reasons he can't just leave her just because can't just leave her just because he found a uh, you know a, a secretary more attractive doesn't work that way doesn't work that way so the the the, the mentality that all of the strength is just in the husband's hands is not exactly a, uh, true now of course there is more in the hands of the husband because in essence when there was a purchase when there was a, a marriage a Jewish marriage it's a purchase he's in essence buying her therefore he has to release her and give her a get if there's a divorce but the point being is if it's not a valid if it's not a valid reason Torah will allow will allow, uh, force him to remain married to her we actually learned one of those things in the uh in uh last week but either way sometimes you'll see a kosher woman kosher woman want to leave a non-kosher man and this non-kosher man won't let her go why he's a tyrant he's a terrorist he's a wicked awful human being as it happened at the time of Rabbi Akiva Eagle a couple of hundred years ago there was one guy that became a complete apikos and uh left his wife go found himself another non-jewish girl but in the meantime he knew that all these orthodox jews they're not going to allow his religious jewish wife to get remarried even though he's uh because even though he converted to a different religion because he still has a uh, marriage there he didn't give her a get and he refused to give her a get because he wanted to torture her he wanted to leave her alone 
in the world forever while he does all the crimes under the sun so after the rabbis tried in different ways to no avail they brought this issue to rabbi akiva eagle rabbi akiva eagle kodesh kodeshim one of the gedolei adol not to be mistaken with rabbi akiva of the gemara from almost two thousand years ago rabbi akiva eagle hears this and says bring this apikos this heretic bring him to the bedin they go and they tell this heretic that the Gdola Dora Biakiva Eager says he has to come to the Beddin. And they convince him to come, and he gets to the Beddin and he starts laughing at Rabbi Akiva Eagle's face. Looks at the old sage as if he's a nothing. And after a few seconds, Rabbi Akiva Eager gets the point of who he's in front of. And he says to him, You see, our Torah Paskins. That there are two ways that a woman gets her get gets released from a husband one the husband gives her a get two the husband dies which one do you want the heretic here's the old man here's the holy Rabbi Akiva Eagle say such threatening words and he starts laughing in his face. He says, what are you old man going to do? What are you religious people going to do to me? Nothing. You can't do nothing to me. Can't force me to do anything. Rabbi Akiva Eagle repeats what he said again. There are two ways that a Jewish woman gets released from a marriage one the husband gives a get two he dies which one do you want the heretic sees it serious and responds the same way at that moment Rabbi Akiva says to him and that's that you decided what it's going to decided and that's the psak the heretic gets up abruptly and walks out of the beddin and literally one step outside of the beddin he drops dead gets a heart attack or brain aneurysm and dies on the spot just like Rabbi Akiva Eagle said you have two options either give the poor woman a get release her or you're gonna die you'll think it's a joke no problem you decided what's gonna happen to you now actually getting a get getting a get has never been an easy an easy thing to do with people that are heretical people that are against the Torah people that are delusional unfortunately there are many delusional people in the world today just as there's always been delusional people and therefore some people decide that even though they want to consider themselves religious they want to keep their the wife that doesn't want to be with them anymore for whatever reason or another they want to keep them hostage and in many cases 
they don't have the ground to stand on to keep the wife hostage now, of course in some cases it's actually the right move to keep the wife hostage and not give her a get because she's a cheater she's a liar she deserves to be a hostage but in many cases it's not in many cases it's simply a get move on with your life she'll move on with her life and both of you will live better lives in in most cases that's really what it is but unfortunately sometimes the ego gets in the way the ego gets in the way and the husband doesn't want to give the get and he keeps the woman a hostage and doesn't allow her to have a jewish marriage or any marriage that's considered uh, valid according to judaism forever and unfortunately there are terrible stories of certain women staying a aguna for many years 5 10 20 30 years i heard one story that was like 40 years horrible stories but that is the decree from heaven that's the decree now was it always this way not necessarily you see those very same people that are promoting feminism promoting homosexuality promoting the reform mentality the reform society the Sodom and Gomorrah you see those very same people are going to do what they're going to do but they become much more dangerous when they infiltrate into our own backyards our own communities by simply reporting reporting what's going on in our communities to the authorities because they don't agree with it and by doing that they actually cause damage to themselves what am i talking about this exact issue you see according to our Torah according to our Torah what Rabbi Akiva Iga is saying that it's either the husband gives the woman a get or the husband dies it's a hundred percent truth but there is something in between what is that something in between what the Rambam writes the Rambam paskins la'alacha and this is the alacha that we really that's that's the alacha everywhere in the world unfortunately we can't implement it because we have a bunch of feminists and uh, and reformers and all types of people that are inside our communities that will call the cops if we did this and did call the cops when it was done see the rambam in Ilchot Girushin, chapter 2 alakha number 20 says the following when a man who's the whom the law requires to be compelled to divorce his wife meaning that this uh person's uh, whose wife says that she's repulsed by him a man who's uh, who's married to a woman for 10 years without her bearing children a man who becomes uh, uh afflicted by bad breath constantly or odor and he's simply disgusting to her or he becomes a uh collector of dog feces uh miner of copper in so many words he meets the requirement of uh, simply unbearable he's an unbearable person and he doesn't want to change and therefore he has to get his wife wants to divorce him and he has to allow her to leave he has to allow her to leave and the bed dean paskin you have to give her a get and he says no i don't want to give her a get so the rambam says when this man whom the law requires to be compelled to divorce his wife 
does not desire to divorce her the court should have him beaten until he consents at which time they should have a get written and the get is acceptable and this applies at all times and in all places meaning it doesn't have to be a law just implemented in Eretz Yisrael it could be in the exile the diaspora and it doesn't have to be at the time of the Bet HaMikdash this is at all times meaning today also technically this is an alacha that is enforceable that if he doesn't want to give the get but he's supposed to because the Bet Din says you are not simply good for her we determine you have to give her a get for alachic reasons he doesn't want to give her a get he wants to keep her a prisoner the bed dean is supposed to have a couple of nice chaside ghoul one of these guys that like to eat the whole chulin just by themselves one of these guys that have a little bit of extra energy to exert take them show them a nice good time of what chasidut looks like until he says you know what i want to give my wife a get i want to give my wife a get and rambam says it's acceptable now you say wait a minute if you look previous you look after it says technically you can't force a get can't force a get so how could this be in fact the rambam says you could even hire gentiles to beat him up you can even hire gentiles to beat him up why is this get not void how is it how is it acceptable he's being compelled either by jews or by gentiles to divorce against his will and a get must be given voluntarily so how could this be that this is allowed rambam is asking himself how this is the chidush that the rambam brings because the concept of being compelled against one's will applies only when speaking about a person who is being compelled and forced to do something that the torah does not obligate him to do such as a person who was beaten until he consented for to sell to sell something he does the torah doesn't obligate him to sell anything or to give a present the torah doesn't obligate you to give any presents so such a thing to beat somebody up until he gives he sells you a house to beat somebody up until he gives you a present that's forbidden that's not uh, a, a, a a permissible consent if however the person's own yetzerah the person's own evil inclination presses him to negate the observance of a mitzvah or to commit a transgression and he was beaten until he performed the action he was obligated to perform or he disassociated himself from the forbidden action he's not considered to have been forced against his will on the contrary it's he himself who is forcing his own conduct to be debased what is the rambam what is the rambam really saying here he's saying deep inside every Jew wants to fulfill the Torah but he has desires he has an ego he has an evil inclination that's causing him to follow his desires and his ego so by giving him a beating you're simply removing that ego 
You're simply reminding him that the Yetzirah is an inclination you can get rid of for now. Get rid of the get. You want to do it. You just forgot. Why? Because the ego. Because the, uh, the, the uh, reputation. Because the this. Because the that. Give her the get. Oh, you don't want to give her the get? Ah, that's your Yetzirah talking. Your Yetzirah is saying you don't want to give her the get. You are saying you want. So let us remind you. And you give him a nice, and a nice, and he says, ow, and ooh, and e makes all types of special effects, and chazaku baruch, mazal you gave her a get, yeah, yeah, I gave her a get, see, ah, I knew you wanted to do it, ah, chazaku baruch, that's the actual Torah, that's the Torah, is it implemented today, unfortunately no, and 99% of communities know, why? Anytime it was in recent history, people called the cops and got the helpers arrested. Got the helpers arrested and even more so, had the community, so-called leaders and uh, tattletale rats, make them look as if they're evil people, make them look as if they are bad people. So what do they do for themselves? They think, oh, you don't want this halacha to be implemented, right? You want to use the society's modern day law. Go to court, civil court, go do this, go do that. So what happened as a result? You simply made the get crisis what it is. Where the rabbis, the Bedin can't implement the law. In fact, in Eretz Yisrael, they can't even write. The person's on Nidui. They usually write the, the, the Siman and the Shulchan Aruch. They don't write he's on Nidui. He's like on Cherem. Why? Because then you're forcing him and this and that. In so many words, the secular society and unfortunately the secular mentality within the religious community has made the divorce crisis of not women not being able to get gets what it is. And now... They're saying, look, your religion is forcing women to stay married. No. Wrong. Our religion, our Torah allowed us to get rid of bad people. You, with your stupidity, your foolishness, your ignorance, and your addiction to everything that's against the Torah, you are the one that caused the get crisis to become what it is. You did. Why? We had a system. A 3,000 year old system to deal with bad guys. But you decided that you know better than us. And you are not allowing us to do what we can. Are not allowing us to do what we should. To deal with all these bad guys. And this is, Rabotai, unfortunately, what it's going to be until Mashiach comes. Why? Because there's not enough righteous women that are fighting against the impurity. There are many righteous women, many righteous women, that are fighting for mitzvot, that are adding more sanctity to Am Yisrael, adding more sanctity to their homes, many of them, but not enough fighting all of the impurity, not enough fighting the wars that we need to fight. 
Many people are trying to make all types of silly films and documentaries, trying to do all types of things to expose people that are not letting their wives go and trying to do all types of things to show how this and there's something wrong with the system and so on. But no one is actually discussing the halacha. Why? Because none of them believe in the Torah. They call themselves religious Jews. Some people even call themselves rabbis that are part of these silly documentaries. But not a single one of them is mentioning this halacha. Why? They don't really believe it. They believe in society. They believe in civil. They believe in no violence. Why? Because that's their society today. That's the feminist mentality. That's the, uh, the enlightened mentality. That's the modern mentality without the mikveh for half. That's the mentality. If you allow the Jewish people to practice Judaism like it's supposed to be, there wouldn't be enough, there wouldn't be room for bad people. Why? They wouldn't survive. He simply wouldn't survive. They would beat the guy until he dies or he gives the get. Now, of course, again, if you think this is wrong, that means that your mind is not yet there with where the Torah is. Why? Because this is Rambam. This is not your own Ruven creating some crazy fanatic rule. This is what the Alacha is. You look at Shukhan Aruch, you look at the Rambam, you look at many other poskim. This is what it is. We can't implement it, not because the Torah forbids it, but rather because society, and not just any society, not the American society or the Israeli society, but rather the Jewish religious society has enough stinkers inside they won't let us implement such a rule. Immediately they'll go to the cops. Immediately they'll go to the day and immediately it ends with problems for the people that are trying to help. Now, of course, the uh, Torah knows exactly who and what we're dealing with. And we have, Baruch Hashem, a lot of other ways that you could entice people to do what they're supposed to, supposed to be doing anyway. But none of those ways are as effective as what the Allah really is. None of them. Why? Simple. Some people are willing for you, willing to hear the protests every day for 30 years, just not to have their ego hurt. In fact, they like the protest. They like the attention. Sometimes I don't understand some of these people, but apparently you have to be a psychopath in order to understand a psychopath. Some of these guys that keep these women a, uh, a aguna, without giving her a get, they themselves move on with their life. But they still don't let the girl move on, even though she's right or she's wrong. It doesn't really make a difference. I never really understood. Just let her go. She doesn't want to be with you. And anyway, you moved on. What do you care? It's all ego. It's all ego. And many times you have all types of bad people, bad friends, Korach and his, and, his, and his followers continuing to pump them on and cheer them on. No, you stand for your rights. You stand for your kavod. This is right. This is this. This is that. And in reality, all you're doing is you're hurting yourself and you're hurting other people. At the end of it all, if, you're, if you knew that this person, that although they hurt you, although they offended you, although they did all the wrong things in the world, they did do some good things for you. Perhaps they gave you a kid, or two, or three. Perhaps 
they made you happy for a little while perhaps they're not all as bad at all times at some point they were decent maybe you could think about that and think about the fact that you know what even though she hurt me even though she's terrible even though it's everything what do I gain out of keeping her a prisoner other than nothing other than nothing what do I gain out of it and the truth be told is nothing you don't get anything other than other than simply being a spiritual terrorist you don't gain anything and unfortunately all of those people that like to keep their ex-wives oh they like to call them my current wife they like to keep they like to say that they uh, uh you know they're I don't know what I'm talking about and I don't know the details and I don't know this and I don't know that fine I may not know but I do know that if you were doing everything right this wouldn't have happened in the first place why that's what the Torah tells us that's what the Torah tells us if you are doing everything right it wouldn't have happened to you so perhaps you don't see your own fault just like the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says you don't see your own fault you see that she's wrong and perhaps you're right that she is wrong but you're not a hundred percent right you're not a hundred percent right why don't you move on why don't you let her move on simply get rid of all this anger and agony and pain and nightmare and move on with your life move on with your life don't force Hashem to be the hand that beats you since the rabbis can't don't be so stupid don't be so silly don't be so selfish let all of that go and I promise you when you do something like that only blessings will follow especially the blessing you automatically get when you do the right thing even though somebody did the wrong thing by you we learn from job that the whole world stands on a person that stays silent when somebody is insulting him when somebody is going against him perhaps it's not the most perfect example maybe the example of somebody that allows other people to do certain things that they wouldn't to him that they wouldn't done to uh, to themselves but he doesn't uh, go against them he lets it go either way there's many other examples you can think about and I promise you when you really look into the details letting it go is the only way you can win and even more so you win go you win big you allow her to move on you move on and that's it but sometimes people have the audacity to be the wrong ones and blame the rabbis be the wrong ones and blame the rabbis oh the rabbis don't understand they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that in one case I saw some idiot right oh they don't understand I'm a levy and the levies are going to be in charge of the gates in the, in the Beit HaMikdash I'm not going to let any of these rabbis go into the Beit HaMikdash kind of remind me of the story that I told you guys tonight about Rav Steinemann is that the scholars are all concerned the real scholars they're all concerned 
if they're going to be able to avoid Geinom. But this Amaretz, who doesn't even know the real definition of what a Levi is, he thinks it's just because of his last name. He doesn't realize that a Torah scholar by default is a Levi, according to the Rambam. This ignoramus is already certain that he's going to be at the gate of the Bet Megdash. Such is life of the fools in this world of lies. Remember, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget anybody. If you do the right thing, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bless you. Not just in this world, but in the next. The most important thing that each one of us has to pray for during this upcoming Judgment Day is not only for our own good fortune of money and health, but also to have the spouse that's going to help us get to where we need to be, to fix our tikkun, to be that help that we need, even if we don't really recognize it sometimes, even if we sometimes say, I don't want any help. Pray for that too. Pray for their safety. Pray for their well-being. Pray for their success, because their success means your success. Bauch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.